right, welcome to another episode of Jackman Radio. I am your host, Mike Jackman, joined as always by my twin brother, Eric Jackman, and of course, Ricky Gray. How's it going, guys? It's going very well. How are you? Doing well, man. <laughs> we, uh, we're we getting there halfway through the week. Hump day, as it were, and uh, of course, last night we ventured down into the bowels of Providence, Rhode Island for what will probably be the best comedy show of the year until it comes around again. We went and saw Tim Dillon yesterday. Guys, that was so much fun, man. That wasn't just a show. That was actually like an all-day outing. We went out, you know, we set out in early afternoon and stopped at Longhorn Steakhouse somewhere in Mass, Middlebury, Mass, or some... Millbury. Millbury. Oh, excuse me, Millbury, Mass. (laughs) Some obscure Massachusetts town not far from the Rhode Island border. Had ourselves a nice steak, mashed potatoes and shrimp. (laughs) <laughs> went on over to the bookstore. That, it, was, that was, it was like a field trip, you it, know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a field day. Jackman Radio takes a, f- a field day. Field trip. It was nice to be able to hang out in a bookstore for an hour. I I, I, haven't, I don't even remember the last time I was in a bookstore. So many of them have closed. And then, of course, you have everything with uh, COVID. So that was just a treat, man, just to go out in the middle of the week and do that. And then leading up to it, of course. Well, we stopped at a record store, too, right, Ricky? What was the record store we stopped at? Uh, Armageddon Records in Providence. Shout out to them. Yeah, you made uh, made a couple purchases. Yep, yeah, I found some cool stuff in there. They, they have one in Boston or Cambridge as well. There's two of them. Cambridge Analytica. Yeah, it was uh, it was good to get out of um, Dodge for a day. I took a half day at work, and um, we made our way down there. And the uh, parking lot that we parked in, Mike, where the Longhorn was. I opened the door and I stepped out of my car, and um, I almost stepped in a shitty diaper. <laughs> that's right. That, that's a that's a real thing, man. You didn't notice that until like after you shut the door, right? Like when you yeah, well, when you pr- first put like your foot out, down, yeah. like yeah, I put my foot down right next to it, and I got out and I, I was like, "What is that smell?" And I looked down and there's a fucking shitty diaper. And then, then when we're coming back after lunch in Barnes and Noble on on my side in the <laughs> snowbank, someone had thrown up at one point. <laughs> That was the spot right there, man. That was the party spot out of the whole parking lot. Yeah, it was. Just, I mean, the mall is a wild, wild place. That shopping center down there. Uh, what is it called? Blackstone. Yeah, it's like the shops at Blackstone. I the think. shops of Blackstone. So they're turning up down there. There's shitty diapers everywhere. People are puking all over the place. But the Longhorn was good. The uh, the steak. I got. I, got we, I think we all got ribeyes. Twelve yeah. ounce ribeye. Twelve ounce ribeyes. I kept it simple. I got it cooked medium. With a side of mashed potatoes, and Mr. Pib, we were uh, talking about Mr. Pib on the ride down, and then we got to Longhorn, and lo and behold, they had Mr. Pib, Mike. Yeah, Ricky's Ricky, you were like, they have Pib, they got Mr. Pib. Yeah, I always get Pib there. They don't have Dr. Pepper, so you gotta get you gotta get Pib. It, it, it's a totally acceptable alternative, though. I mean, I was happy with it. We are officially low on Cheez-Its and Mr. Pib. <laughs> okay, I'm not here. Uh, yeah, for you guys, like, for, how long, like, for him? Like, for you guys, like, seven minutes for me, it's a lot longer back to Earth. Okay, I'm not here. Okay, I'm not here. That's one of our favorite Family Guy segments, and we, we were talking about it, and then, then they had Mr. Pibb. Yeah, so, this, you know, the stage was set, and we had a great meal. We had a really nice uh, shrimp appetizer, breaded, like, Cajun-flavored shrimp. Yeah, with that ranch dipping. Yeah, the, the dipping the dipping sauce was good. Our waitress was great, too. She was really nice. Yeah, she had the perfect uh, mix of not being too fake friendly up your ass to, to <laughs> also not ignoring you, but knowing what you when you needed more bread or a refill. And I think they've got that dialed in because there's there's 
a complete lack of uh, people going to restaurants. So they, they're like, wow, there's a table. There's my marks. I'm going to treat yeah. them well. Yeah, and, and, and oh God, just seeing like the plexiglass like stanchions or, or separating things in these restaurants. It's like it's like being in the penalty box. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, seriously, it's uh, five for fighting. You look at it, man, and it's just it's kind of cringe. It's kind of cringe. They're playing along, you know. They're larping, folks. Everyone's doing their part, but it was a safe dining experience. You know, we we, we were steakhouse influencers, and in, in what way? Eric said that we were steak fluence influence steakhouse influencers. I don't know. Yeah. How, how do you how do you gauge all that? You, all you do, you have to just get a picture of you either like wearing shades or at the table with your party, and there has to be some of the food in the picture, and you're an influencer. I mean, Mike, we watched that uh, that documentary recently about that dude who created uh, fake influencers. What was, was it great. called? It was called Fake Famous. Fake Famous. It's on HBO. It, yeah, it's, it, you can get it on Amazon Prime and HBO. It's a worthwhile documentary that really delves into what it's like nowadays for these young oh. teens and 20-somethings and even up to 30-somethings. Um, and depending on the niche, it could be older, but it's really like younger, attractive people um, who completely stage every photo that they put out there and they curate. And they usually do it to get free swag, free merch, free food, Follows. free trips. Um, and it's a really great documentary because the filmmaker took three subjects that they auditioned and they told them, we're going to do everything we can to make you famous. We're not going to really expand on that right now. But um, why should you be an influencer? Why do you want to be famous? What do you do? What's your passion? You know, what's your strategy so far to get the 200 followers that you now do have? So it was it was cool to see a lot of people showed up for that, and they picked th- the top three that they liked, mm-hmm. and they shaped those three and worked with them. The the guy bought likes from a, like a, a, a like, like a, a f- brushing farm bot farm a bot farm. You <coughs> can, I didn't even realize you could buy likes like that. Yeah, yeah. And it, one of them ended up doing really well, ran with it. She's very successful. The other two, not so much. It was a cool documentary though. Fake famous. Check it out. Was she attractive though? Oh yeah, yeah, that yeah, helps. She's very attractive. Oh yeah, no, she looked like all Mama Cass. She looked like Mama Cass. I mean, they all, it was her and it was two other guys. They were these younger guys. Yeah, they were she all good-looking people. They like their charms. Yeah, one of them was like, "Yo, I'm going to go to the gym. <laughs> I go to the gym. I want. I need a million dollars because I go to the gym." The other one was like a. He was a southern boy who. Uh, he was some thankless assistant for some rich uh, person out in Hollywood, right? I moved out here like I never thought like what I would be doing was like getting gas for my boss. <laughs> Like gassing up his SUV, like I never thought that's what I would be doing. Oh my god! So that was like that was one of them, and the other one was this very beautiful, like twenty-two-year-old uh, girl who was uh, basically a model, and she she took it and ran with it. Yeah, she, she found great success with it. She went all in with it, and it got to the point where she just had boxes of shit being sent to her apartment, dude. Like constantly, watches, perfumes. It became her full-time job. Yeah, um, you know, jewelry, all kinds of shit. I mean, Food, granola bar samples, yeah, shoes. God, it would just get so old doing that. So the reason I wanted to say we were steakhouse influencers was just to kind of troll. To comment on. To comment on it, how, how just fucking absurd it, what an influencer actually is. Dude, if I could get a free ribeye or a tomahawk out of that, I'd be happy. Well, yeah. that's Maybe we can. Yeah, maybe we will. Well, uh, that's part of what I want to keep doing with, That's with the goal. Jackman Radio. I want us to become the premier steak influ- steakhouse influencers. So we're gonna. It, it's something we're going to keep working on. I'm going to keep working on. I'm going to leverage all my contacts in the steak industrial complex. And your brand. And my brand. Your bovine brand. My bovine brand. I'm a big boy. I love to eat steak. and It's authentic, Mike, because I'm a real influencer because in my real life, when the cameras aren't on me, I'm, I'm eating steak. Yeah. You know? I know. I'm the one who cooks it. <laughs> it's true. It's a lot of steak. It's true. 
lot of stake for a couple of big boys. So we got to um, Providence pretty early, which was nice. Um, shout out to Hinkley in the spirit of Hinkley. Try to get, when you go to something, hum, you get there three, four, five hours early. Like yeah, you, you don't want to be late. No. So doors were at 6. We got there at 5.30. Yeah, uh, I think it was a little before that. I got to the parking lot. Yeah, 5.12 five, five, Eastern. 5.15, something like that. Backed into a good spot. Um, you know, of course, I had to take a leak. There wasn't a bathroom anywhere. And the uh, the bars were closed next I to the I think behind the white pod suited you just fine. Yeah. Yeah, I went behind the pod thing, and that worked out great. It was great because last time we went, December t- uh, 2019 to um, Providence Comedy Connection, there wasn't a single spot to park. Yeah. And we got there pretty early, too. But because of the virus, the uh, comedy club is, is obviously not operating at full capacity when they're doing live shows. So we were literally second in line to get in. This woman got... Ran she she like ran in right just she in came front out of, of nowhere. us. Yeah, yeah she's she, like running across the street down the hill. Yeah, was that the gal who was like the one that they were picking? So on she ended up. Yeah. yeah, she like became essentially part of the show, and um, she was first in by herself, front and center, and um, she was she was great. You're brave when you do that. Yeah, she had a, she had a lot of courage to. I mean, look like like I said yesterday, when you go to a comedy show, it's also it's it's the same concept as going to. St- to SeaWorld back when SeaWorld was a thing um, and sitting in the first five rows. If you don't have a raincoat on, man, you're, you're going to get wet. Yeah. So you're at a comedy show, man, you're going to get hit with something. <laughs> if, you're in the fir- if you're within line of sight of the comic, yeah. you're, 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 you're liable to be... You're along for the ride. Yeah, you're, you're cruising for a bruising. So that makes it fun, you know? It yeah. does. Yeah, interactive. So, and the, so we were right behind her, our party of three, and our table was very close to the stage. I loved where we were. And it was just nice because the last time we went there, it was just you're packed in like sardines and it's tight and it's really hot. People are right on top of you. This time, Ricky and Mike and I had our own, you know, we had our own table. You know, the, the, the servers were awesome. Drink, they, were, they were right on point with the drinks. You know, I had whiskey uh, sour. You were drinking Cape Codders. And it was just... Uh, it was a great experience, and the guy hosting was awesome. Uh, Doug? Doug Key. Doug Key. So he's originally a Rhode Island guy who founded a comedy festival, the Newport Comedy Festival. And he was hosting last night, and um, I guess he said his day job, he works at a um, elderly... Hospice or nursing home? Nursing home. Yeah, like or Brooklyn, I think. Yeah, in Brooklyn, and uh, lives in Brooklyn, and... Um, he was great. I mean, he had great, great energy right out of the gate, man. And he was very confident and welcoming. And instead, you know, he set, he set the tone, he set the tone for the night. And I, I thought, he, I thought he was great. He had some, he had some funny, uh, funny material. He was working, you know, obviously talking about the virus and, uh, uh, talking about, uh, <laughs> like dating girls during the virus, uh, the times of the virus. So he had some funny stuff. And then Tim's opener was, uh, Dan Carney. If you follow Tim Dillon, um, he's had Dan with him quite a bit around uh, across the country. He's a bl- skinny blonde dude, and uh, he's really funny. He's he was he was really good. He's from Florida originally. He did a great video that I, I don't know if it went viral, but it was seen. All, it was you know I saw it in a lot of places uh, during the Super Bowl where he was he was spoofing um, Boston sports fans who were rooting for. Uh, Brady and Gronkowski. Yeah, the, the Buccaneers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah the Red Sox hat on, but he. he May say bucks, but he, the U C K S. He taped over the <laughs> the Boston yeah, logo. <laughs> it's pretty good. He t- he's like he's like yeah I like um yeah I love the Buccaneers I love Brady I love Gronk and 
I, there's another guy that I love. That, that was a funny skit. But yeah, he was great as an opener. He was unabashed about the fact that he's from Florida. Uh, he's like, you know, I'm white trash. I'm from Florida. I've got, uh, I, he had some joke about a tattoo that he got and that he was Irish. And he's like, so COVID, we don't give a fuck. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Yeah, he's like, fuck COVID. Fuck you. I'm over it. We're all over it. We're here. He was great. And uh, he was talking about how his dad was obsessed with like Fox News and uh, Tucker Carlson. And uh, his his grandma was there with him. And um, Mike Pence was on the TV. And uh, the dad said, you know, show some respect. That's the vice president. And then Dan was like, wait a minute. Show some respect. That's your mother. <laughs> That's yeah, great. That was a good joke. When Tim Dillon took the stage, man, that was like a friggin' that was like a, a, a jet taking off or like a, a full friggin' train coming down, doing train to Basan, no stopping it. Like, you know, Snowpiercer, like, right yeah, out of the gate. It was just like 45 minutes of just pure adrenaline. <laughs> Dude, it was a jumbo jet taking off, man. Right, And, and we were saying, too, like, compared to when we saw him in tw- even 2019, man, I, there's more, I see more confidence. Like more, you know, command of the stage and the crowd in his hand, and man, it was like a freaking rock concert. It was so cool to see a comedy show uh, live. I haven't been to a comedy show like that since before the since before the pandemic. So that was a special treat, and he had great, you know, material. And obviously, a, a lot of the people there were followers of his podcast and his Joe Rogan appearances, and um, you know, the videos he's put out. And it was, it's just. It, there was an energy, man. There was a real kinetic energy, you know, in that room, and it was awesome to see that. Yeah, it was it was awesome to see Tim and and oh, he's just so funny, man. I, people were asking me today, oh, how'd the show go? You know, how was it? How how was the performance? And I just said, I I literally was laughing so hard that my eyes welled up. I did tear up. I was just God. And he's just one one thing after another, man, and and, and it was just so on point and and. Oh God! Dude, so I, was, I was like sweating. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah, it was. It was like a a um. You got worked over physically. Yeah. And um, you know, he was talking about Candace Owens, and uh, you know, saying, "Oh, C- Candace Owens, she's crazy." Like, you know, I'm outrageous. I say some outrageous things, but I I, I look at her Twitter sometimes. I'm like, "Oh my God, what is she gonna say next?" Like, she say something outrageous. Like, it's long past due that we have a fundraiser for Timothy McVeigh. <laughs> That was so outrageous, but the thing is, you could totally picture like Candace Owens tweeting that. Mike. You could see something like that, yeah. Hashtag white genocide or something, <laughs> like Lauren Southern. You know, oh, That's, God. yeah. She's probably she broke up Kanye's marriage, the president, the the presidential run, and maybe Candace Owens. Really? Well, no, not like literally, but you know what I mean. Like it, when Kanye started. Getting into what oh, Candace he Owens followed was doing. Yeah, that's Owens. where he yeah. kind of went on his journey that led him to the Oval Office, where he said that he, that, that Trump was his father, and he, you know. I love this I ha- man. I feel like Candace Owens played a part in that, dude, in Kanye's like renaissance. His turn towards the King dude in CAG. That's so incredible. Yeah, nothing. W- that was one of the highlights of the whole four years of the King dude when he had Kanye in there. If you watch the clip of it, the footage, Trump's even looking at him like, whoa, this is like kind of off the deep end. This guy's fucked. Yeah, Trump's even, Trump's blushing a little bit. He's even like, yeah, he's even kind of looking at it like. Very cool, Kanye. Who was the other athlete they had there? Jim Brown? Jim or, Brown. Yeah, he was. <laughs> and Jared Kushner's just grinning, dude. Like, it, it, it's a cultural phenomenon, Mike. Jared Kushner's just like, did I get my check this week from the fucking uh, Roach Motel that I own down in Baltimore? Yeah. Oh. But it was it was inspiring seeing those comedians work in the room and doing their thing. And I just want to tell people, look, we're we're gonna we're gonna get back. We're gonna we we're, we're gonna get back to how we were. We can't we can't keep going down this path. It's it's just, you know, some people are like, oh wow, you went out, you were with a crowd of people, you went to a show. Yeah, I did. 
I did, you know, and I've been in crowds of people since we've had this thing. Yeah, I mean, they they were very, you know, adamant about the mask policy and about the um, sanitizing the tables and the and the you know all the staff was wearing masks and all the tables yeah. were, you know, spread they, apart. They looked to be six feet apart, but no, it was it was good. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, you know, for a pandemic comedy show, that's about the best you're gonna get. Yeah. So if you if Tim Dillon comes to your city, go see him. Yeah, definitely check out Tim Dillon. His skits are the best, man. He something happens big, like you know, with the Capitol riots, with uh, QAnon shaman, Ghislaine Maxwell. Usually within like a matter of hours, Mike, he has uh, a skit. Or a day or two. There's a there's a timely skit that comes out where he just it's like thirty seconds to a minute to a minute and a half. He just illuminates. Yeah, it, he illuminates it, it. It hits home. It hits hard. It's incredible, dude. It was funny. I mean, well, it's not funny, but we we were had planned to uh, watch and review the. Uh, Tiger Woods documentary that was on HBO, yeah. and we were talking about that in the car ride down yesterday, uh, you know, d- down to Mass, and uh, the the word broke that uh, Tiger Woods was in a pretty serious single car accident, and his car flipped. Where was this down? It was in California or Florida or yeah, it's near LA. Is out in California. Yeah, he he was hosting the Genesis Open. Now, initially, they said the Jaws of Life had to be used, but they're retracting that from what I last heard. Yeah, I think they pulled him out through the windshield. And, you know, obviously, you hear a car accident, Tiger Woods, you think back to, I think it was 2018 when he had that, when he was pulled over and he was under the influence of um, of painkillers. Yeah, or, like or mixed alcohol and painkillers or something. Yeah, something was going on. So, you know, that I don't think that's come out yet what the deal was. And I mean, who knows? I mean, I know he had a pretty major back surgery, I think as recent as December, his fourth or fifth major ba- like surgery that he's had. Um but, you know, it's good to hear that he's – it's not life-threatening. And, I mean, obviously it's not good, but it sounds like it's some leg injuries that he sustained. Yeah, it's looking like his legs. I'm looking at the picture of the vehicle. I haven't really looked look – at, look at how, like, far off the road yeah, that is. Dude, it went several hundred feet, it looks Jeez. like, off that, the road. That was a, it was a loner car from the tournament. Like, if you look at some of the pictures, you can see the Genesis Open logo on oh. the side of the car. It's a good branding. Yeah. I mean, they, they got, a, got a lot of mileage out of it, no pun intended. God, yeah, you know, Tiger. He's a after you know. I, I I knew obviously some about Tiger Woods, and I want to learn more about him for Poopsie. You know, because our, our our best friend Poopsie loves him, and he's he's, you know, he's a golfer. Ricky's a golfer. Yeah, he's a big fan. So I wanted to learn more about him. And the uh, documentary, man, I, I didn't realize how far Tiger had fallen. You know, when 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 he uh, <laughs> when that at first initially blew up with him between him and his wife and the. The accident, she attacked the SUV and everything. Yeah, the so-called sex scandal. Yeah, where he was, you know, living uh, multiple multiple lives. It said, but yeah, I mean, that was. It sounds like that's his father was kind of doing that type of thing on the golf course when he was training him as a young boy, and and right. the, the other guy that they interview was a uh, another influence on Tiger, and he saw that and learned that behavior, and you know, it kind of just reached a boiling point in his life. I mean. You look at Tiger Woods in a lot of the footage, man. He really does look like a Manchurian candidate, <laughs> uh, kind of like under hypnosis. You know, really like MK golfer. <laughs> M- yeah, MK golfer. <laughs> it's it's scary. I mean, they they. It looks like the life's been sucked out of him, and he's just been turned into a complete automaton. But that's that's why he's considered the greatest golfer of all time and has the numbers that he has. Um, but yeah, that kind of discipline and that kind of you know how rigid that is and. That can, you know, do a toll on a human being. And he, at the end of the day, he is only a human being, you know, regardless of how talented he is. And, and uh, like all of us, we're susceptible to that frailty. 
yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's too bad. But we'll be pulling for you, Tiger. And, uh, you know, he'll uh, – who is it? Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholas. Uh, he should he should still be worried, right, that he's going to capture – capture his record he's a couple away right from the what the masters wins or what was Overall the record majors major majors wins. he's yeah. got what 14 or 15 of them and jack nicholas has 17 or something yeah jack nicholas has 18 he's got 18 i'm not a really a golf fan but i did enjoy the documentary it was a very fascinating two-part uh documentary called tiger it's on hbo so you know if you enjoyed the one about the chicago bulls called the dance which i really enjoyed because I mean, I remember growing up in the 90s idolizing Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Rodman and the Bulls. That's back when I played basketball, um, and uh, there's some crossover. There's Jordan and, uh, you know, Charles Barkley partying with Tiger Woods out in Vegas. Vegas. Some cool clips. Showing him how to do it, Mike. Rodman wearing a wedding dress, you know. like How many years the wig, Eric, when he's wearing the wedding dress? It's everything, dude. Dennis Rodman is the soul of the age, and uh, he would go on to become probably one of the greatest diplomats in American history, Mike. Absolutely, yeah, basketball diplomacy with North Korea. It's unbelievable. But, yeah, Tiger, um, you know, you kind of get the sense from the documentary that those other big league athletes looked at him kind of like a nerd. Like Michael Jordan and Barkley, they're kind of they're like, oh, Tiger Woods is kind of kind of a goofy Kind of a square. Yeah, kind of a square. So I think they showed him how to do it. Yeah, but then he showed them. Yeah. He brought that thing to a next level. Well, t- Tiger's credited for bringing fitness to golf. Because golfers right. are always seen as, you know, these – Overweight schlubs who are <laughs> whacking a golf ball around. With the paunch and the green like, jacket. Uh, who was the dude? Uh, Phil Mickelson? Nah, John Daly. Daly. Was he thick? Uh, yeah. yeah. He just smoked cigarettes, drink beer, and ate red meat. And beat his kids. Smash golf balls. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there was a lefty in the, the show. He's a lefty golfer. It's probably Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson, yeah. Is he American or British? No, Phil Mickelson's American. He's American, but they were like comparing yeah tiger's physique to phil mickelson and exactly he just he just looked like your out of shape uncle who's like yeah you know i'll i'll get ready to do this fucking master's thing you know two weeks before it starts i'll eat some steaks have a carton of smoke i'll drink some scotch and i'll go out there and i'll fucking dominate so yeah tiger i mean we, we saw him in there he's working out with the navy seals and shit i didn't ever even knew about that that's not i mean his father was a vietnam veteran who, who did special over forces there, so. army rangers so that that kind of makes sense and he at one point tiger was like i'm gonna quit golf he told his caddy i'm giving up golf i'm thinking of joining the navy seals he's like mate what the fuck <laughs> what the fuck mate <laughs> that is kind of like that's out there yeah but you know he, he was in that world and he felt like well what about me what 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 is we're where do I exist underneath the layers of, of, of what, you know, my father and my parents put on me since I was like three years old? You know, there's a great clip of him on one of the late night shows. That's like like a three-year-old. Yeah, with Bob Hope. Yeah, with yeah, Bob, Bob Hope. Bob Hope, yeah. That's freaky. That's not normal. Yeah. But to be the greatest, well, yeah. You that's w- the type you of ha- shit. You got to have a domineering. One of your parents has to be really domineering. There's got to be a Murray Wilson, which was which was Brian and Dennis and Carl Wilson's father, right. who who just beat them and and you know abused them and pushed them to be these amazing you know uh, vocalists and musicians and 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 the three part harmonies that the Beach Boys are are known for. Uh, Murray Wilson pushed them towards that. There's Michael Jackson's father. Uh, jo- I think his name was Joe. Joe Jackson. Joe Jackson, who was horrible and domineering and abusive and um, yeah, and then there's there's Tiger Woods' father. I'm not calling him abusive, but he certainly he certainly pushed him. Oh, well, he molded him, molded him, and, and it sculpted him in, into what he later became. Right, no doubt about it that the father had the huge influence um, to make them, you know, operating on that level. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it come it comes from there. Starts at home and turned the Tiger Woods into a brand unto himself. You know, so well he'll he'll come back. We'll see. He's got eight hundred million. He's okay. Yeah, he's fine. He's they fine. Can fucking grow him a new leg. Can do a three D print a new leg for him. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed watching that. And then, um, yeah, what else were we watching? We watched um, part one of Alan V. Farrow. Oh, Woody yeah. Allen. Did you yeah. watch that, Ricky? No. And then a chance to check that out. That's. I've been reading a lot about that man, and 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 the fact that Woody Allen was friends with Jeffrey Epstein really sketched me out. Um, and there's photos of them together. You know, having a photo with Jeffrey Epstein or that you knew him or were a friend with him doesn't automatically make you guilty, but it is not. It's not a great look. Um, but basically, this documentary is. I think it's going to be a ultimately what like a four or five or six part series about the the allegations against Woody Allen um, with his daughter uh, Dylan that he legally adopted, which was Mia Farrow's uh, adopted daughter. Um, you know, has said that Woody Allen molested her when she was, I think, seven. Yeah. Seven years old in Connecticut. And this series is the perspective of Mia Farrow, uh, Dylan, and... Satchel. Satchel, a.k.a. Ronan Farrow. A.k.a. Frank Sinatra Jr. Yeah. yeah I, he's probably Frank Sinatra's son. He's got to be. He doesn't look like Woody Allen. No. No. Um... Yeah, and then all the other kids that were adopted, they're all, were they from Korea? Yeah, Soon Yi and, and uh, Moses. Well, I think there was a total of 11 altogether that Mia Farrow um, from 1970 through the late 80s, early 90s adopted or um, had. She was married, of course, before she was with Woody Allen. But, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there about this case, and this has been in the media spotlight for almost the last 30 years, you know, since it kind of broke. There were two investigations Woody Allen was never charged, um, but in the eyes of the media, especially now since Me Too, it really f- it, it seems like the tide is turning on that. So, if you watch, you know, the first episode and the second one will be out by the time this podcast drops on Monday. Um, it doesn't look good for Woody Allen, but I read an open letter that Moses Farrow wrote, um, who was legally adopted by Woody Allen. He was 14 at the time when when the alleged um, you know assault happened. He was at the house in Connecticut, and he says he says it not only did it not happen, um, but I was watching Woody all day because Mia Farrow had put into my head, my mother had put into my head that we need to watch Woody, we need to keep an eye on him. Um, you know, I'm the man of the house at 14, and they never went off together, and so there's no way that that could have happened on that day. So that's an interesting perspective that you're not going to hear in the documentary um, because, you know, Mia Farrow, Dylan, and uh, Ronan are, are part of one camp, and then you have another camp where you have Woody Allen and you have, uh, you know, Soon Yi, who was the adopted daughter of Mia Farrow. Uh, Woody Allen never legally adopted her, but it is, I mean, they use that as part of the a part of the whole deal like the fact that he had photos of her the polaroids of her that were oh yeah that she discovered at the apartment yeah, yeah that's super that's, sketchy that's fucked up man that is really fucked up but that doesn't mean that he did it or make him guilty of you know uh, the accusations from dylan so i don't know i'm, I'm honestly like with this case i'm 50 50 because i think bo- both mia farrow and woody allen are, both have serious issues so who oh, can, who mean, can you re- like? Yeah, in this not, story, it's not a normal world. No, it's a, not at all. So, is there more to those pictures of him with Jeffrey Epstein? What's the context of those? I don't. I've just you posted. That was funny. You posted the other day. You're like, here's the real uh, poster for the what's it called? Ronan versus Pharaoh. This should be one of the teasers and uh, official for posters for Alan. V. Alan Farrow. V. Farrow. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, it's, no, it's, in, it's, it's interesting. It, yeah, and, it, and it's it's in New York City on the street, and Epstein's walking in front of Woody Allen and Sunye. And Sunye. Yeah, I mean, there's there's you know there, there's more information that's going to come out about his relationship with Epstein. And I hope this documentary at least touches on that because you're not even really hearing about that that much in the media. And um, it's interesting, just in the last week, a 60 Minutes producer, um, a former producer for 60 Minutes named Ira Rosen, uh, came out and said that he, you know, met Ghislaine Maxwell a number of times, who was Epstein's, you know, co-collaborator and, and uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, procurer for him. Um, he's got a new book called uh, Ticking Clock, Behind the Scenes at 60 Minutes, and he had a conversation with Ghislaine Maxwell um, and he said, hey, where, where are the tapes? Where are the tapes that Epstein has of Donald Trump and Bill Clinton? He kind of bluffed because he, when he was talking to her, he, he, he figured he put two and two together and figured she had the tapes or knew. And um, she was like, well, we're not going to put you know one out without the other. So she basically admitted the fact that Epstein had recorded Donald Trump and Bill Clinton and there were tapes. And uh, this has been reported upon in the last uh, week and multiple media sources like The Independent and other places uh, that you can check out. So that's going to be in his memoir, um, Ira Rosen. So I look forward to seeing that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that that was a that was a good bluff on his behalf, and um, they're, they're just I, I I can't imagine a world where there isn't tapes of all them, you know. And, and you keep seeing Ghislaine Maxwell trying to go for a release. You keep seeing that dude, like she keeps trying to get released and and and, and get out before her trial. So she obviously thinks she has some kind of leverage. Or some kind of ability to, to go for that, right? I mean, I, I really, I feel like there are tapes that exist. And, and um, you know, they've been pushing the whole deep fake technology. They had that great clip of Nixon and Obama that ended up being a deep fake, you know, just to show what we can do with this technology. So it's almost like if a tape does come out of Donald Trump or Bill Clinton, they can just be like, that's a deep fake. Oh, that's that's a deep state deep fake. Even though it may it may actually be authentic, deep fried steak, deep fake. Yeah, I think there are tapes. I think there's tapes of many many powerful politicians and people who household were names associated with Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, he had uh, the, a lot of the witnesses and survivors have sa- said that he had the place in New York City that Les Wexner bequeathed him. He had that whole thing wired up. He had he had a room dedicated to surveillance. There was a boiler audio room. and video for that. Yeah, just of of uh, closed circuit TV from. Um, what are they called? Camera pins? A pinhole? Small. Small. Yeah. In the bathrooms, too. All over. Every room in the house, including the bathrooms. That's what Maria Farmer said, right? They're the, the yeah. Ba- yeah, the bathrooms and, and, and all over the place. And you know what? you gotta, you got to know that every property that Epstein had dominion over, including his island, the place down in Florida, um, New Mexico. Zorro Ranch, which was the largest residence in all of New Mexico, which Epstein owned. Yeah. Just, you know, it was all wired up for surveillance. And I just started reading uh, Filthy Rich by um, yeah, the, James are, Patterson. Yeah, what are the books you bought yesterday? That was one of the purchases I made at uh, um, Barnes & Noble yesterday. So a um, couple chapters in, that's going to talk a lot about the case in Florida and you know some of the background on that. And I really look forward to Whitney Webb's book that's coming out this summer in July about the Epstein case. Uh, I, I think it's going to be available for pre-order soon on Amazon, which goes more into the intelligence connections and where he got his money, which is what you don't really hear so much uh, when the media talks about it. Yeah, you hear the flashy names and the celebrities and the, the salacious stuff, which you should hear about. But at the core of this thing, why does someone like a Jeffrey Epstein and a Ghislaine Maxwell exist? How do they exist? Where does the money come from? And 
why are they allowed to continue to operate when everybody knows? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a gr- that's a great question. And so that's, the, that's the question. And I think probably Whitney Webb's research is going to dig into who Ghislaine Maxwell's father was and what his c- intelligence connections were um, and probably the mega group, you know, the money, the money behind the Epstein ring. Yeah, Les Wexner. Yeah, Les Wexner. As one of the players. Yeah. Uh, the Bronfmans certainly are, are part of the mega group. The mega group is a um, group of, what, 20, 25 billionaires? Or ha- a dozen, a dozen to twenty billionaires, several billionaires, you know, really wealthy, wealthy people um, who have shared goals and interests, and uh, they use their money and their influence to set up like dummy corporations, nonprofits, and groups and shit, and then they they run these kind of operations in these rings, and that's that's why they exist. So yeah, good research out there. I'll, I'll look forward to re- your review, Mike, on that book when you finish it. Filthy rich. Yeah, I think that'll be a fairly quick read. That uh, should be good. Yeah. So I know we were we were talking uh, yesterday. We wanted to talk about like fun jobs we've had in our lives, like interesting, uh, you know, or kind of origin stories, right? When you when you look at uh, some of the jobs you've had, Mike, over your life. Yeah, between the three of us, I think we've had uh, several interesting jobs over the last almost you know twenty years, really. And yeah, uh, we even worked at the same place. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. all worked at a grocery store, uh, you know, called Market Basket. Yeah, there, there, I, I was thinking about this. There could be a podcast dedicated to just, for, for, you know, former Market Basket employees, Mike. Absolutely. Tell, sure. tell their story, and then we can kind of interweave it into, you know, how the, the board tried to overthrow. Yeah. Demula versus Demula. Art yeah. versus art. The Battle of the Billionaires Part 2. Exactly. A great documentary called Food Fight, which I, I purchased at uh, Bone Moose Records. Yeah, it reminded me of working there, just, you know, that feeling. So give you PTSD? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Market Basket was a, uh, well, it is. It is a chain of grocery stores that's, uh, is it indigenous to New England or are they another, are they? No, nah, it's just New England. No, it's just New England. Okay, it's just New England. But, you know, think of any, think of your, anybody out there who's, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old getting a job at your local grocery store. And, uh, you know, really what your first real quote unquote job looks like. And, you know, that was Market Basket. And around this area, it was certainly the top opportunity for high school kids to go and make, you know. Well, they, they they paid more than most places. They didn't pay minimum wages, like a dollar or two more. Right. That was the hook. And um, you, there's an opportunity to move up soon. So, like, you'd start off as a, a bagging groceries, and then before you know it, you could go do whatever else. So. Yeah, the the the, the uh, pipeline in Mike was you were a bagger. That's that's basically you or start. Or sacker. Yeah, you start. You know, at the bottom. Yeah, go go shack on uh, three, Mike. And then there's the promise of maybe a blue coat or a green coat or, you know, that was like that was like the cool thing. That was yeah. like the status. The people <laughs> who had the coats home, like I was always jealous. <laughs> I was I, w- I went from being a bagger to produce after a year. Yeah, I, I, I went. I went to Enns Department after three months. Yeah, I went rogue, and he went Enns, dude. Enns is 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 not. I mean, I think it's under the auspice of grocery, but ki- also kind of separate at the same time. Yeah, we had like our. It was like our own little intelligence was, operation. Yeah, it was like me, Nate Connor, Vern, um, Dave Ritchie, uh, Tim Tar, Timmy Tar. Yeah, it was just like us, and um, I can't remember the manager's name. We used to give him such a hard time. Oh, um. He looked like a James. Pollock. He looked like one of the Bonds. Yeah, yeah Pollock. Yeah, yeah. He was always really tanned. Yeah, and um, he always had nice watches and stuff. But yeah, I mean, Market Basket is uh, is is coming of age, and it's uh, 
you know, it's very much rite of pat, uh, rite de passage, rite to passage. And, um, yeah, I, so I, I actually did two different tours of duty at Market Basket. I worked there, um, I think it overall it was my second job ever. I worked there bagging groceries. Did, did you go back there in college? Yeah. So I was I was there in high school, and then I actually quit for the first time senior year so I could manage the baseball team with yes. with Rocky and, and you. You know, you, yeah. and, <laughs> you and Ferg were the star pitchers. And I was like, you know what? I, I, I know I, I'm not good enough to play in the team because I tried out for the team and I didn't make it. Um, you know, obviously I knew I, w- I was a long shot and didn't really have a lot to offer by way of being a player, but I still wanted to be part of the team and I wanted to do something cool my senior year. So, um, after tryouts and I, you know, I didn't make it, I said, you know, it'd be cool if I could just like do the books and kind of manage the team and and be a spirit animal for, for the, the, (laughs) the team my senior year. And Rocky was the same. I think he tried out too and he didn't make it. I'm pretty sure he tried out. Yeah, he did too. Yeah. Either way, we wanted to be part of the team. And of course I had this job at market basket and uh, I was like, you know what? Fuck that. I don't want to work there anymore. I want to just do this my senior year, enjoy my last few months of being in school and seeing all you guys and seeing everyone. So I went and uh, I put in my two-week notice and I uh, I think I was in grocery. Yeah, I was in, I was in grocery at that point. I, I, had, I had ascended to a blue coat, which was, which was great, you know, doing grocery, breaking down the shelves, stocking the shelves. And... Um, Johnny Votor was my, he was my direct manager. He was my red coat above me. And I put in my two weeks and I definitely didn't show up for my last shift, Tom. Like I didn't, I banged out. It was incredibly dishonorable. It was a very, very low thing to do, but I didn't even, it was a three to 10. You know when you'd have to work? Oh, that's miserable. Dude, the three to 10 at Market Basket is like, just fucking kill me. You know, it's, it's, uh, those could be the longest days of your life. The best ones were the three to six. Can you work? Can you come in and work a three to six? Yeah, yeah. Three, three to six swing shift, dude. Those are yeah, sign me up. Yeah, you you, you go to school till uh, two twelve, and then you make your way over from Conan over to the store. Is it store forty seven? Yeah. Yeah, Ringe Market Basket store forty seven. You, you didn't really have any like big responsibilities no. working three to six. No, no, I mean you weren't closing like. Yeah, you were just kind of like mid relief. Yeah. You know, you were a good mid relief pitcher. You'd come in and relieve those dudes who did the morning shift and, um, you know, go bag groceries for three hours. Sometimes the three hours would, like, fly by in a minute, and then sometimes it would seem like ten hours. And, um, yeah, I didn't mind working there. It was basically like another high school, but only we were we were more of a regional because we had kids from Winchenden, uh, Gardner, Gardner Ashburnham. Ashburnham, Ashby, Townsend, um, I don't think Peterborough. I think Peterborough kids generally stayed away from Market Basket. Yeah, that's a little uh, bit of ways. Yeah, I don't remember a lot of Peterborough or Conval kids being there. But uh, we had some scenic kids, New Ipswich. I remember having kids from there. So you would meet. It was real slice of life. You would meet a lot of these kids um, from other schools who you wouldn't otherwise hang out with or know or socialize with. So that was a cool part of it. I mean, I got to know some cool people from those other towns and other schools. But uh, yeah, so senior year, I was I was <laughs> grocery market basket, and then you know I quit to manage the baseball team. Then I got into college, went to Franklin Pierce, and uh, got you know into my freshman year. And I realized, man, I need another job. I can't I can't uh, go to school and not have a job. I got to do something to get some pocket money and gas money and keep my car on the road, you know, because my folks let me live at home, so I didn't have to worry about a meal plan or room and board, but. Still need to have some pocket money, especially when you have a girlfriend too. You know, when, when you went back, did you work for Snell? Was he still in the front? 
He was. Yeah. He was. I, I, so I went back totally humbled. I had to go meet. It's like the mafia. It's like the mafia, dude. Did, did they give you a hard time about going back? So, yeah. So what happened? Uh, <laughs> 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 what happened was I was working at Brooks, Farm, Brooks Brothers or Brooks Pharmacy over in Peterborough. And they weren't giving me enough hours, and I, I think I, I remember made, that. Yeah, yeah. I shystered out of a couple shifts over there, and I'm like, you know what? They're, they're, they're not paying me enough to go work here, so I quit there and made my way back over to Market Basket with my tail between my legs. I apologized to Johnny Votor. I said, "Hey, man, I know, I know, it was I, I did you dirty. I did you dirty, and I banged out of that last shift. I'm sorry. Will you guys? Will you take me back?" And they're like, "Yeah, we'll take you back." And um, I bagged groceries again for. Probably another year or two while I was in college, and then what what saved me to get out of there for good was uh, work study at Franklin Pierce. So I worked at uh, the financial aid office at uh, Franklin Pierce, and that that was a pretty cool job. And then I got to do that over a summer. And when you work full time uh, during the summer, they give you free housing. So yeah, yeah it is a similar thing. Magical, dude. Magical to look to live on campus during the summer and. Uh, that first summer, I lived in the fucking trailers next to the bubble. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, that that was a oh, that was a great summer, man. I lived with Hinkley and uh, Elds, and Hinkley and I were direct roommates, and um, Elds was in there. And then we had Brian Reed, who was a stowaway, like a stowaway on the Titanic. He was on the futon in the living room, and uh, it was it was it was an animal trailer, like Animal House. We had a lot of fun though, and. Uh, so I did that one summer, and then the following summer I worked for the conference center at Franklin Pierce for uh, work study, and I lived in Sawmill. And oh, yeah. Yeah, that place is a cesspit. Gross. Disgusting. <laughs> a lot of heart, though, a lot of character. Yeah. And uh, that was a pretty cool job, the conference center. You know, you get the, the school ready for, like, big groups that would come during, all, uh, during the summer to visit. You know, you get all the beds ready, all the housing for all the, all the people who were coming. Set up furniture, breakdown shit. It was a cool job. I worked with some cool people. And I lived with Hinkley again that summer. We we were direct roommates. Had some good parties there. We had some ripping parties there, dude. That was uh that was summer of 08. So the Celtics won the championship that year. I remember one of my roommates was a big Celtics fan. He'd always have the games on, but we had we would pack we would have some parties there, man. We would pack like 20, 30 people into the sawmill. And it was uh it was fun. I have fond memories of that, you know? One of our friends and maybe listeners might have been throwing glass bottles in the stairwell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, that's probably something that happened. We, we won't, we won't uh, WikiLeaks any names, but uh, <laughs> that's a real that's a very real thing. Now, was, was Market Basket your first uh, job, Rick, when we were in school, we were in high school? No, I actually, I had two jobs when I first started. When I, was, I was like 15 and a half, I... I worked at Kimball's oh, in yeah. the morning during the summer, and then I went and worked at Athens Pizza at night. That's right, that's right. So yeah, you had some you had some food experience. Yep, yeah, and um, kind of similar to you leaving Market Bass and come back. I did a similar thing at Kimball's. Um, so I, the mornings were fine. I I go to work at like six, and I get out at noon. I did a lot of, you know, cleaning, maintenance stuff around. So I was you know I was fifteen and a half. I couldn't really do a lot. Right, but. Um, long st- I ended up quitting because the guy who was my supervisor was super lazy and he would always make me do this ridiculous stuff when I was in the middle of something 
And me being 15 years old, being a punk, <laughs> I, uh, I cussed him out one day and quit and walked out. Nice. <laughs> and then a couple of years later, I came back and worked in the kitchen. <laughs> was he still there? Uh, well, he he was, but he was working in the mornings, but he didn't know I was there. Uh. And then he found out I was working there and said something to like the manager's manager. And huh. like, yeah, you can't work here. <laughs> and they ax you? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Kimball's, man, that place is, oh, I can imagine working there. It's a busy Busy during peak season. Yeah, it was it was not really that fun. No, but um, yeah, Mark Mark Basket was pretty good. I ended up end up quitting Athens and going to Market Basket because you could make more money. Yeah. Um, and they're they're a little more flexible too because you get so many people so working there. Right. Yeah. They would wor- they would work with you. You could get with uh, Art Snow and kind of, hey man, can I have this day off? I can't work this day. And then when you were like, you know, you needed money for some kind of operation you wanted to go on, then he'd give you hours. Yeah, he could get hours or he could cover for people. Yeah. Or people would cover for you. And yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I had, you know, I had uh, my girlfriend there my first two years of college and Market Basket helped fund a lot of operations. You know, you want to go to a Bruins game, you want to go out to the movies, uh, you know, buy, buy or something nice. You know, that that's all funded with uh, narco laundered Market Basket money. <laughs> Um, yeah, so my first job actually was washing dishes at the, it was called the Inn at Jeffrey Center. Oh, yeah. At, at that time. That was my very first job. And uh, I worked there with Hinkley. Well, I, th- I think I helped get Hinkley in after I got in there. Did Duhamid work there too? Uh, yep, du- Duhamid was there. Hinkley, myself, Josh Heafy. Um, God. There's a, there's a common theme with these jobs. Yes. And th- <laughs> all these, all of us, us ghouls, we all stick together and. Get each other in at these places. But that's kind of how it worked, though, because they'd be like, hey, we need like another person. you know anybody? And, of course, you go to your buddy and be like, hey, man. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Hey, this will be fun. We need we need to somehow get money so we can go to the other side and John Fitch uh, movies, you know? But, but then we get into a predicament where we need to like go do something. Like we want to go to a Red Sox game or something. And like we all call out at the same time. Yeah, it doesn't look good. It's like, yeah, no. who's going to cover for all of us? <laughs> but, um, no, the inn was a cool place to work. I mean, I, that was my first job. And uh, I was a shit-ass dishwasher, like just lazy, terrible. Uh, you know, it was just known that Eric Eric was not a good worker. They had great clam chowder. I remember that. Oh, oh I mean, that's that's why I, I lasted as long as I did because of the food. You know, like you'd go in for your shift and um, there'd be a staff meal. And, uh, God, yeah, you could have like some chowder or some of the mashed potatoes. Or depending if it was busy or not um, – uh, Jerry was one of the cooks. He was great. I'd ask him to make me a grilled cheese. He'd make you something custom order, and that was great. But yeah, I liked working at the inn. And um, it's funny because um, Noel and Max Mitchell were the owners, uh, brother and sister, and they were my first bosses. And now Max is the manager of the Woodbound Inn, where I just did my comedy show. Oh, and so that's pretty cool. Yeah, so it's a small world. So. Any younger listeners or people out there, don't burn bridges. Don't uh, don't burn bridges. I'd, I'd never burned any bridges with uh, with the inn and the good people at the inn. You know, I I I, I, I was a fuck up with Market Basket. Yeah, I apologized. I atoned for that. I felt bad about it. Yeah. <laughs> but those are all valuable lessons, uh, especially when you're younger. Like you don't know any better. Yeah. I just because you're not thinking about the future. Um, I just wanted to manage the baseball team. Hum. Yeah. I just wanted to be your manager. You know, I wanted to be on the bus with you and Ferg, and Jared. And Joey and Rocky and, uh, you know, uh, Greg Lawn and Chris Lawn and, uh, you know, all, all the crazy boys of the, the Conan 2005 uh, base, varsity baseball team. It's, it's funny because, like, when I was working at Mark Bassett towards the end, 
um, after we graduated high school, I kept working there through the summer. And like throughout the time I was working there, I, I would, uh, Tim and I would, we would give uh, Pollock a hard time. And like I'd mess with him all the time, like, hey, like I'm leaving, like I'm not coming back, <laughs> or like I'm I'm going to the military, or whatever. Like uh, here's my two weeks, and I like joke around. And then when the day came, then I actually gave him my two weeks. Yeah. And then I was like, I had like a week left, and he's like, so what days can you work? I'm like, no, seriously, like I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm out of here, bro. And he's just like, oh, I thought you were kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were, yeah, you were joking. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, Nate Jeffrey Center, Market Basket. Brooks Pharmacy, work-study jobs at Franklin Pierce, and uh, God, what else did... Oh, so substitute teaching. So when I graduated Pierce in 09, it was the shit economy. Couldn't even really get hired at a gas station. I applied to a gas station, nothing. Like, couldn't find a job anywhere. So uh, my dad's like, what about, uh, what about being a sub? What about substitute teaching? I was like, yeah, that'd probably be cool. So that's uh, when you're subbing, you're a person who's in transition. You uh, you have or retired l- or retired. Yep, there's they're having a hard time. Yeah, subs now with everything. Right, alone regular teachers. Yeah, I mean, I remember even then. This was like oh nine, ten, eleven. Um, there was always subbing. Like they always needed people to sub and fill in. And Mike and I. Mike and I for for a while, Mike, we were we were Maverick uh, substitute teachers. Like we were we were there. Yeah, we did like a solid year doing that. Yeah. So yeah, you you were uh, Mark. Your first job, Mike, was not Market Basket. Just before Market Basket, I did a three month stint as a dishwasher <laughs> at a small spot, and that was that was not fun. That was not fun. <laughs> that was not a fun time. <laughs> I want to come in here in the morning and see my pretty face in the reflection. Of the floor, you better mop the floors better. I want to be able to see my pretty face in the reflection. So, so you did it, Mike. You mopped it, and then he came in the next day. What did he say to you, Mike? Said the floors look like someone shit on them. <laughs> I was like, I'm out of here. I went over to the promise of the workers' paradise of Market Basket. <laughs> I never looked back. Workers' paradise. Uh, how, how long was your stint there? Uh, you're the longest out of all Dude, of us. Dude, Mike, Mike was old. I was reliable. at Market Basket for four years. You're fully vested. <laughs> yeah, well, I never, I never had, uh, you know, I was never able to grow any facial hair until I left Market Basket, and that was in November of 2007, and since then I've only shaven my face completely clean probably three times. And do you chalk that up to being a strict Wahhabist? Well, uh, yeah, from Market Basket. Yeah. yeah. They were, you know, they were uh, able to dictate and determine how long your hair was past your collar, uh, what kind of facial hair you had. You Thank know, you. What, yeah, it was, you know, I don't know. They, they get... They get it all worked out. The reason the Demula brothers are billionaires is because they got sixteen-year-old kids like us going in there, fearful, working for eight bucks an hour. <laughs> and like Ricky said earlier, it's true. It's it was it was more than what minimum wage was by just enough. And then you could get time and a half on Sundays. Yeah, minimum wage was like five fifteen at the time, I think, like five and a quarter. Yeah, so you weren't so going mean, to say no to that. Yeah, I mean you're you know fifteen, sixteen, making eight twenty-five an hour. Been so bad. <laughs> yeah, you need to fund operations, Mike. Plenty of pocket money to go to the movies or go to McDonald's. Other side. Yeah, go to the other side. Yeah, in Fitchburg, which is no longer there. May it rest in peace. Rest in pieces. Yeah. So that was. Uh, those were good times, though. You know, yeah. it was a. Uh, I had the job for half of high school and half of college, and I was halfway through college, and I realized I need to quit that job if I want to really start enjoying college. Right. Because I had to open up the produce department at six in the morning on Sundays. Oh. So partying all night up at, at college was not conducive to opening up the produce department at 6 a.m. on a Sunday. So with my uh, you know parents' semi-blessing, I quit. 
and enjoyed the last half of yeah, college. The thing about Mike is he always had money. He had a car. He had gas in the car. He was he was old, reliable. I had resources. Yeah, I had resources yeah, for did. someone in the early to mid aughts. You were very uh, responsible, Mike. For a time, yeah. Yeah, I was. So you market basket, and then what was your job after that? I worked for the alumni association at my college. Oh yeah, which was I had a great experience when I got to drive around. The drunk alumni in golf carts, some of them would leave tips, you know. The ones from Connecticut would mostly not leave tips. <laughs> but I drove a golf cart around for 12 hours, bringing all the luggage to uh, the dorms where they were staying for the weekend. And, yeah, it was uh, that was cool to see that, to be a part of an, al- an alumni weekend. Because I, I didn't go to my 10-year um, college reunion, which would have been in 2019. I did not participate in that. No so. one goes to that stuff. Nobody who's you know not cheesy, right? <laughs> the people who go to that are pretty cheesy, or they they just caught a wave where they were on their first or second divorce and they're like putting on the Hawaiian shirt and they're putting the Grecian in their hair and they're fucking dancing and trying to relive a memory that never even really happened in the first place. So I I really felt like a lo- it was a it was a, it was a lot of edifice. It was um it was almost like a pink flamingo. You know, it was just it, a lot of it was kind of disingenuous from what I saw from my vantage point, which. You know, I'm not saying that's all like that, and everybody goes into something like that, like that. But there's different reasons why people attend their um, college reunions, and I think there's a lot well, more reasons any, why people like don't. Any reunions, like even high school. I mean, the, the way that I kind of look at it is the people that, like, I, I've kept in touch with, you know, most most of my friends and stuff over the time, whether it's college or high school. So I don't know. I don't, I don't really need to go. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I mean, our high school reunion was pretty fun. Our ten year reunion that we had in. Uh, what was that, 2016? 20, 2015. Well, we, we didn't do it in 15, did we? We did it actually... No, oh, we did we it late... Oh, November, no, okay, it. late 15. Yeah, we did it, like, yeah. The, the end fall, of 15. Fall of 15, and... That was fun. Schmeggles and I planned it and put that whole thing on and reached out to everyone in our class, and yeah, it was fun. Uh, you know, it was unfortunate a lot of people who said they were going to come didn't end up coming, so me and Schmeggles were left holding the bag on a lot of things. But then but there's the people who come who, you know, they, they they rise to the occasion. Yeah. And they end up bringing the most fun for it the was reunion. Fun. No, it was very enjoyable. Yeah. So, you good. know, whoever's alive for the 20-year, maybe we'll do something. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who even, you know, who knows if that's ever even going to come back? Did you hear Beto might run for governor in Texas? Beto O'Rourke, my it, guns aren't for sale, but my pussy is. And the price is P.F. Chang's. That's another one of Tim Dillon's great skits. Really, is that is that the deal with Beto? He's going to teach. He's going to be a college professor for a few terms, and then he's going to fucking run for governor. Based on how bad uh, things went for Ted Cruz in the last week, they think they might have a slot for 2022. <sighs> but it's like, who's the governor of Texas? Abbott? Yeah. Greg Go- Abbott. Governor Abbott. I guess he's down a little bit in the polls, but... He's, he's, down, he's pretty well-liked down there. He's popular? Isn't yeah, he pretty he, based? With everything going on, he's pretty well-liked. He's... Cause he he's been holding that electrical company's feet to the fire. Oh yeah, yeah. So governor, not senate. You're saying for so Beto. he ran in eighteen for the senate. He lost. He ran for president in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. Lost. Yeah. So three times a charm. So yeah, Trump was like, wait a minute, better work. I beat the guy who beat him. Okay. No, no one outside of his region even gives a shit about him down yeah. there. I don't think he's even if he runs, he's going to lose. That's what I'm saying. He's right a lightweight. And uh, this weekend it will be CPAC, the annual uh, yep. Conservative Political Action Committee, um, where Donald Trump really kind of made a name for himself back in 
you know, 2011, 2010, where he was first kind of really getting serious about running. This is his big return since leaving office. He will be speaking in the Sunday slot this Sunday. Um, the sources are saying he's going to use it to attack Joe Biden and go all the way up to the edge of announcing his comeback for 2024. So we're, we're talking the art of the comeback, Mike? The art of the comeback. Do you believe? I mean, he, he, Mitt Romney even said, like, if Trump runs, he's going to be the nominee in 2024. At this point, who, who could best him in a Republican? Who's, who's going to run against him? Who's got the moxie? Yeah, who's Lincoln Project? Who are you going to put up? John Weaver? Who are you going to put up? Crickets. Who are the Dems going to throw up? Are you going to put Biden out there again? Fucking Kamala. <laughs> it's going to be the Kamala show. We're going to. Uh, I'm going to do my term, and then I'm going to go out to pasture. We're going to have Kamala do it. The thought, though, Mike, of him doing another GOP primary is everything. Oh, it's it's incredible. He was gladiator mode, dude, in 16. The, all the media networks are hoping that he does it, too. Let's be honest. Yeah. Because everyone's bored, and, and, and they miss the money that, that Kingfish made for their bottom line. Yeah, that came from his head, Mike, the outrage culture over his head. Dude, he generated so much money for them, man. I know. Like they, they, they miss him. They need him. I know. It's an asymbiotic relationship. <laughs> you know, now that he's off Twitter and he's, he's, he's off Facebook and he's not being given coverage, you know, he, he needs that, that coverage. And uh, quite frankly, they need his head. So have you started to have you started to see this new narrative? I just started seeing it recently in the last few days where people are like, uh, I'd like to see a Democratic president come in without having to fix all the problems from a Republican president. Like that's like their that's their narrative. That's the meme. No, I haven't seen you that. Haven't seen that yet. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty funny. I, I got to chuckle out of that one. Well, you know who probably uh, guys won't be running is Andrew Cuomo. Dude, yeah. Capo, fuck that guy. Capo fuck Cuomo's had a rough couple weeks. Yeah. Meatball. Uh, let's see, a strip poker proposal and an unwanted kiss. Former uh, Andrew Cuomo A details sexual harassment claims. So shit's hitting the fan with the uh, nursing home scandal and all the people uh, that died and that Capo Cuomo lied about and royally fucked that up. Well, the media was like, they, they couldn't fucking blow him fast enough. Well, that that's what's like frustrating to me is you have, you know, friends or family or whoever who are following and supporting this guy through this, you know, you know, acting like he walks on water and all this bullshit. And you're like, dude, this guy's a fucking gangster. Like he's a piece of shit. And then here we go. Fucking four months later. Yeah. Sure enough. Yep. And I want to give Jason Burmis all the credit in the world because he's been talking about this in detail for oh, at least March. Of yeah. Last, even yeah. before. He's, he's been very consistent. About Capo Cuomo. He left New York because of Capo yeah. Cuomo. Moved to Iowa. And he dubbed him Capo Cuomo, Mike, right? He d Burmis, you, yeah, Burmis did. Yeah, Burmis. We'll get you on to talk about that. But yeah, so this uh, former staffer named Lindsay Bolin uh, has come out. She wrote a medium piece and um, said that Cuomo kissed her on the mouth, uh, you know, without permission, obviously, and uh, touching and all that stuff. So uh, he's done. He better be done. This, this better be it. I mean, I remember, like, leading up to Biden being nominated, they're, they're talking about fucking Cuomo was going to be the savior, Mike, of 2020. Dude, he wrote a fucking book and made millions. <laughs> yeah. It's just about how he did it the right way. Just right, specifically dealing with the COVID crisis. Exactly. Yeah, him and his fucking goofball brother there. The Cuomo brothers, you know, you got to look, you got to look at them on air. Those two idiots. Yeah, to to give you like health and life and advice, me media advice, and the and the real story. Yeah, they're gonna give it to you. And then of course you have w with the nursing homes where they were underreporting uh, the numbers, right, Ricky? What was the, the the story with that? They were uh, Cuomo was not uh, counting certain deaths as COVID deaths, or yeah, he, he's only counting as a COVID death if they passed away at the facility. If they had COVID and they didn't pass away at the facility, he wasn't counting it as a COVID death. 
Yeah, so those numbers are going to be so a little bit skewed. Yeah, so they're manipulating the data. Um, something like they didn't want to make Trump look good or something. Right, it was all, yeah, it's just po- it's politics. And, and each side always accuses the other side of politicizing the virus. And this is just naked uh, politics right here. And, and a lot of people lost their lives. So, yeah, Cuomo, just, you know, go away. And I know uh, Newsom, aren't they recalling Newsom out in California? Yeah. Going to do a recall election? I think they have, the, 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 they have the juice to do it. They got the juice to do yeah, it. They got the juice to do it. And I wish we could have a, another Democrat like Jimmy Carter. I, I watched a great documentary about him. I don't know if we've, we haven't touched on Carter yet. Tonight, no, right? no. Um, it is. It was produced by CNN. You know, I got disclaimer. You know, I mean, just I mean, hey, look, CNN and Fox and MSC, MSNBC, sometimes they are capable of putting a sliver or something out there that's decent. Um, it's called Jimmy Carter, Rock and Roll President. And it's a great documentary. I watched it. It talks about, you know, this this unassuming uh, peanut farmer from Plains, Georgia, uh, who became governor, you know, uh, down there in Georgia. And uh, he eventually he became president. And really one of his first fundraisers and events that he did was a, uh, you know, uh, concerts with the Allman Brothers, Willie Nelson, uh, Jimmy Buffett, you know, campaigned for him and did fundraisers for him and concerts. And um, from this documentary and a little bit of the research I've done into Jimmy Carter, you really kind of get the impression that he was genuine about his affinity and his love for music. He really loved Bob Dylan's music. And they were actually able to get Bob Dylan to appear in the documentary to seriously talk about Jimmy Carter. And uh, that's, you know, that's no easy feat. And so he was genuine with his love for the music, for gospel music, um, for really pointing out that uh, the black artists were really what, you know, helped popularize rock and roll um, and, and, you know, take folk music and, and, you know, uh, music from, you know, the slaves, you know, before then that that really, you know, down in the South, he was he was a you know new kind of Democrat in the 70s. He was a Southern Democrat. Um, he opposed the KKK very, you know, forcefully and uh, was saying and doing things that were just really ahead of his time. So it's great to see Jimmy Carter get that kind of recognition while he's still alive. He's in his mid to late 90s at this point, uh, recently survived, you know, brain cancer. Um, and I think really one of the best presidents that we've had in the last 50 years that really doesn't get his due. So it was cool to see that. And of course, it's all overshadowed by the Iranian hostage crisis and uh, the issues with fuel and, and gas. Um, but I, I really think he was ahead of his time. And the reason he was only, you know, granted one term was he, he got hurt so badly by the Iranian hostage crisis and, uh, you know, issues with, um, ga- you know, fuel shortages. Well, he wasn't a warmonger either. Yeah. And one of the quotes that really strikes me during that is he said, we never dropped a single bomb, started a single war or fired a single shot. And I think that's largely true. If you look at the four years that Carter was in there, he just did things that no president ever did, you know, up until that point. He's also a veteran. I, I think he served in the Navy. Yeah, he was in the Navy. I think he was in the Navy. So, I mean, he, he's the real deal, man. Him and his wife, man, they've been together for oh, 70, years. 70 years 70 or something years, like that. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, it's it, it's cool to see that, man. I, you know, I don't know that we're ever going to have another president like Jimmy Carter. So Yeah, he'll be in October. He'll be 97. He was born in October of 1924. Yeah. Yeah, he's old. But yeah, he's so he he didn't attend the inauguration this year, you know, because of the virus and his accelerated age. Some, yeah, but he put out a nice statement, you know. Yeah. I always like Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter is worth, you know, looking into. And, and it's really said by a lot of pundits and critics and, uh, you know, commentators about him that he's really done more than any former president after he left the White House. And I think that that's true. I mean, he's out building houses. He's building houses for people all around the world. 
you think, is Trump going to get out there? Like, <laughs> look, I'm a builder. Is he going to get out there and build I'm houses? A builder. I don't see that happening. <laughs> no, he's going to uh, he's going to leverage the uh, the bully pulpit mic to to uh, windfall cash windfall. One of the great things the documentary focused on too was the Camp David Accords, where he got the only really significant peace treaty uh, between Israel and, pa- and Israel and Egypt. I think at that time mm-hmm. it was. Uh, who were the le- the two leaders? I forget their their names escape. And you know, Sadat, Sadat, and uh, yeah. Oh, I forget the other leader. I'd have to look up who the Israeli but leader was. He used his charm, his folksy southern charm, to go to do you know be at Camp David for I think the better part of two weeks to try and hash something out, and he made it happen. So that was really cool to see that he did actually accomplish a lot um, during his one term. Uh, look, I did too. I only had one term. And I got I got a lot done. And I know during the King's term, uh, Jimmy Carter off- offered his services, Mike, to go to North Korea. He did. Yeah, he offered to be, uh, you know, an envoy for North Korea. Um, did he, did he go over there in the nineties? I think. Yeah, Carter he had a relationship with uh, Kim Il Sun, the grandfather. They they trust him, man. They yeah. they trust Jimmy Carter to 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 say what he's going to do. You know, to to live up to his word. And I think large that's largely true. Um, and it's really cool. I had the chance to talk to Jimmy Carter on the phone. Uh, back in 2006 on the Larry King show when he was hosting on CNN, I called in uh, to talk to them about the Iraq war. And uh, I call, I got through and I was saying, oh, you know, oh God, the Iraq war is a big disgrace and this is awful. And Larry King barks at me, what's your question from Ringe, New Hampshire? What's your question? <laughs> what's your question? And I asked Jimmy Carter about getting out of Iraq and he, I, he gave, you know, I think an eloquent answer. I haven't seen it. I mean, in years. So that, that'd, that'd be, be a, a clip worth. I'm gonna be look a good, for it. Yeah, well, that'd be a good um, scavenger hunt. Anybody who can go back and look through the archives on the times that Jimmy Carter was on Larry King Live from 2005 to 2007, you're going to see it on there. You probably find it. It's, it I think so. it's got to be out there. I think I look good. I think I look good. And then also another interesting anecdote, Mike, about Rocket Man and the King. That recently came out is that after one of their summits, um, Rocket Man got there by train. The king offered him a flight back home on Air Force One. Yeah, because Zoon only travels by train, right? Yeah, well, or, ch- or planes owned by China, by the Chinese. He trusts that, obviously. But um, he respectfully declined, but I just thought that was very hospital and, and very thoughtful of the king. Yeah, th- look, I'm going. Do you want to ride? It's a pretty cool plane. Why do you think he turned it down? Like, was he afraid of assassination, or just he was just freaked out? Or he could have been freaked out. Could be a number of things. But I really, I like, I like that. I like to think about them on Air Force One together. You know, watching the movie Air Force One starring Harrison Ford. I got to tell you here, Rocket Man, Harrison Ford was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, president we ever had. I looked to the note that he left me on the Resolute desk, and it said very nice things about me. It said, "Look, I had number one box office numbers, next to Star Wars." Next to Indiana Jones, next Witness. to Witness, Blade Runner, <laughs> I was number two, and I had better hair, quite frankly. It's oh, so good, Mike. And I think we all watched the first episode of the new Silence and Lambs uh, show, Clarice, and uh, I got to tell you guys, I, I was not that impressed. Just the one episode out of the gate. What did you guys think? Yeah, I was a, I was a little disappointed, you know, being a, a big fan of that franchise. Um, it's just kind of clunky. It. Like the relationship between, you know, her and her supervisor just seemed kind of weird. I haven't, I haven't watched the second episode yet, but apparently it might change a little bit. But I don't know, I'll, I'll probably still stick it out. 
Yeah, I'm willing to give it a chance to be on the first episode. But, I mean, you want the first episode to dry in, especially with a, a property like, you know, Silence of the Lambs and Thomas Harris's work. Um, I thought it was great to see Michael Kudlitz cast as Krendler, who, who's, you know, Starling's supervisor. And, you know, through uh, whether it be uh, Silence of the Lambs or the show Hannibal, um, the relationship between Krendler and, and uh, you know, Starling or Will Graham is... is is a little so they're going in another direction, and I didn't really like the way it felt. It felt a little, I don't want to say forced, but it just felt like they're going in another direction for the sake of doing that. Um, but we'll see how how it progresses. But I'm still hoping that Hannibal season four comes out eventually, and they get that made through Netflix. Well, I I think they they're kind of touching on, you know, how the behavioral unit started. There's a there's a lot of doubt in that, in their approach and their science behind their research and you know profiling. And you you can see that when she butts heads with her supervisor because they they want her to be like, hey, tell her it's a serial killer, tell her it's a serial killer, and she's like, no, it's not a serial killer. Um, so I don't know. It just it just didn't really pull me in. But I'm such a big fan of the franchise. I'm definitely gonna I'll probably stick it out for a little bit. Yeah, we're not mocking, we're not giving up, but we have to be honest about our <laughs> review of, of the inaugural episode. It, it didn't feel that great. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys on that, too. I mean, coming off of Hannibal being the latest offering from that world, from Thomas Harris, Hannibal is amazing, and I really hope they bring Hannibal back. Mads Mikkelsen absolutely lights out and just an incredible Hannibal Lecter. And uh, what's his name? Darcy, um, who played Will Graham. James Darcy? James I Darcy. Think. Yeah, he's great. Um, Lawrence Fishburne, I think, yep. plays Krendler, right? Fishburne, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's Krendler. And they've turned the Lowndes uh, character. Freddie Lowndes into that redheaded girl. a redheaded girl. Yeah, it's, they, they really did a lot of cool things. They got Cordell, they got Verger. Cordell. It's unbelievable, but. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll keep our eye on it. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll keep at it, and we'll keep hoping and praying that they bring it back with Mads Mikkelsen, because it was uh, just the, the aesthetic of it, the feeling, the music, the vibe. It was just how dark it was, but stylized and in the meals that he would cook it was kind of just went into, into things you didn't see a lot with the other incarnations of it you know yeah no it was and it was the third time someone had played uh no fourth time someone had played Lecter. um anthony hopkins was not the original representation of Lecter. you had uh brian cox portray him in the in the film um manhunter manhunter which yeah. was which is great that's a great film then of course you know you had um, Hannibal Rising, which we talked about last time, but I think Mads Mikkelsen really, really left his his uh, you know imprint on the character, and it's worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know we got uh, we got some cool things coming up that we're looking forward to. Mike and I are going to the ocean on Friday. We haven't been to the ocean in a while. I think it's been a couple years since yeah. we really spent a day at the ocean. I'm, I love going during off season. I'll be honest, you know. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I enjoy the ocean when there's less people around and um, not so much to go run around in the sand because I hate sand. It's coarse. It's rough. It goes everywhere. It's not smooth like you, Padme. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we're going to go down to uh, Marshfield, Situate Mass, to visit our cousin, get some seafood and hang out. I got the day off from uh, – took the day off from work because we're having our apartment deep cleaned. Professionally deep cleaned, which uh, I'm really excited about, Mike. Yeah, that's going to be great. It's going to be really good. And then Saturday, we have, we're doing our, uh, going to our favorite Chinese spot down in Framingham called Imperial China with uh, some family. 
and the great Dave Ace is coming from Connecticut. It's going to be amazing. They make the best Mai Tais. Yeah, they're called the May Special, and uh, they're clear. They're clear, and they, whoo, boy, they, they fucking slap, dude. They're boozy. They're boozy, and they slap, and um, yeah, and then- It'll be good. Yeah, it's good. We've got a lot of cool things to look forward to, so lots of fun stuff, and um, you know, doing this podcast every week has been great, and- the response I've been getting from everyone has just been really encouraging. So everyone who listens, who's become a patron, I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate it. And we're working on lining up some more guests and some cool people to have in studio. We had obviously had Colin Tiernan last week, and we had a great conversation with him. And that's people have been really enjoying that interview. Yeah, and even if we can't get him in studio, you know, with everything going on, definitely got Zoom and everything, so... Yeah, we want to we want to look into uh, getting some remote interviews and some Zoom calls and stuff. So um, definitely, we we have some guests in mind there, and uh, yeah, we just we want to we want to keep putting out really uh, interesting and, and informative and different different stuff for people to hear about and learn about. So um, if you want to support this podcast, uh, check us out on Patreon.com/slash Jackman Radio, and we're just asking five bucks a month. Uh, you know, a cup of coffee if you like what we're doing. Because um, we want to, you know, do some video projects and some, you know, big interviews and possibly fly some big name guests in here to come in studio with us. So obviously that all costs money and everything, but uh, we want to keep growing and keep expanding. So uh, your support is uh, it's very much appreciated. And, and, yeah, and if you, you can't, you know, help out financially, that's they definitely understand. But one way that you can definitely help is is uh, finding us on social media and going to the YouTube channel. Um, Twitter, Instagram, you know, Podbean, Spotify, Apple, anywhere where the the streams are for the podcasts, and just giving a follow or giving a like or even leaving a review. We we love yeah, we, Ricky, we love the reviews. Uh, share sharing us, that's yeah. huge too, man. Share Word of follow. mouth, getting it out there to your network. You know, you you like you're entertained by it. You like what we have to say, and you want to hear more. Even giving us a share is is just just as huge. Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, thank you again for tuning in and. Spending some time with us, whether you're in the shower, whether you're driving, whether you're cooking, you know, cooking some kind of nice uh, meatloaf and drinking wine in the kitchen, and you uh, decided to join us during that, we really appreciate it. So everybody, stay safe and uh, enjoy yourselves, and have a great rest of your day. See you next time.
my first sit right So without you in my life I'll say better luck next time Better luck next time Just pretending to care About the plans we made for our life Our life, our life Those were the times that I thought I would always cherish Without you in my life, I'll say better luck next time. Better luck next time. Better luck next time. Better luck next time. 